Welcome to episode seven of the Go Get Em Agility podcast. My name is Margaret Hughes and I'm your host. Today, we are talking about how long it takes to go from the very beginning of starting dog agility to being ready to trial. The answer, in my opinion, is 100% dependent on the dog and handler team. There are teams that excel very fast and there are teams that go slower. There's no one size fits all recipe from going from knowing zero in agility to being able to handle enough or having enough knowledge to go into a trial. Teaching the dogs how to do the obstacles, how to go around a jump stanchion, how to go over the dog walk, over an A-frame, how to navigate the teeter, they can learn all the agility obstacles in about five to six months. But that doesn't mean that they're competent. That doesn't mean that they get it 100%. I call it fragile. So when a dog has the knowledge of the teeter, they have the knowledge of the curved tunnels, that doesn't mean they're going to do it perfectly every time. They understand the concept, but they're still fragile in their training and there's still the chance that they could scare themselves. So the dogs don't trust their own skill set quite enough to be able to handle it and all the other stresses that crop up in agility. It really comes down to an independent conversation for each dog handler team. And along those lines, I have handlers that understand the concepts of dog agility much faster than other teams that struggle with understanding what the front cross is on the fly, understanding what a rear cross is, when to do it and when to do one cross versus another. So there's no one size fits all recipe for how long it takes to go from zero understanding of agility to being able to put your dog into a trial. Dog agility comes down basically to three buckets. And within those buckets, there are a lot of subgroup of buckets uh, that you have to pay attention to. But basically, by and large, dog agility is put into three buckets. And here they are. The first one is focus and drive. Does your dog have the ability to stay with you moving between obstacles with attention on you? When they finish an exercise, do they still want more? Are they driven to keep training? Um, when you're brand new to an exercise, can you keep them engaged? Can you keep their attention long enough for them to start to learn and understand the concepts? Does your dog have the drive and focus to understand the concepts and move from obstacle to obstacle to obstacle? In beginning agility, it's roughly between 12 to 16 obstacles. And can the dog keep that attention or do they get distracted within those obstacles? Do they get stressed where they start to self-soothe themselves with sniffing, scratching, or can they turn to you for comfort and direction and attention and focus? The second bucket is dog training. So anything that has to do with teaching an obstacle teaching a sit, a stay, teaching how to go around a jump stanchion, teaching your verbals. Dogs don't come knowing what tunnel means. We have to teach them what tunnel means, what jump means. So that is all dog training. And the dog training part of it can come in many layers. There's 
and what I mean by that is there's jumping, but within jumping, there's, gosh, I don't know. I, I haven't counted all the different ways that a dog has to learn how to jump from hitting the jump perpendicular to a 45 degree angle to a slice or almost 180 degrees. Can they jump those jumps in all different variations? Can they do it in extension? Can they do it in collection? Uh, can they turn tightly around a jump stanchion? Um, can they do it with the handler in front of them? Can they do it if the handler is behind them? So just in the jumping aspect alone of dog training, there's a myriad of scenarios that we train for. So that's the second bucket, uh, dog training. The third bucket is handler training. And handler, the handler understanding the mechanics of agility, which include all of your crosses, your front cross, your blind cross, and your rear cross. Um, understanding how and when the six cues and agility uh, affect the dog and, and how to use your six cues to handle your dog throughout a course. And the six dogs in, sorry, the six cues that play into dog training include motion, location, shoulders, along with um, shoulders and feet, uh, your hand signals, your eye contact, and the verbals. Do they understand how all of those different signals are in play to some degree or another the entire time? And does the handler understand what signals, what cues are natural for a dog, like eye contact, and what signals need to be trained, like verbals? One example would be if you're giving your dog direct eye contact and yet you're asking them to go away from you. Those are contradictory cues. So the direct eye contact for the most part is a strong indicator to the dog to come in close, uh, to converge on the handler. Whereas indirect eye contact is giving the dog permission to go forward and, and learning those subtle differences that can influence your dog's path um, with the pointing of your toes, uh, with the rotation of your shoulders, with direct eye contact, how to teach your dog what your signals are, because every dog team handler, every dog team, every handler is different. And some people love verbals. They want to train verbals over and over again. They enjoy the process of training the verbals. And then they're willing to spit those words out on course in a timely fashion for the dog. Whereas other people get tongue tied and all they want to do is concentrate on which way the course is going, uh, what obstacle is next. Um, and, and the course is difficult for the handler to remember. They also don't want to have to remember to spit out a, a verbal. And so they will be forced to use location and motion as opposed to verbals. Um, so if the course is something that one handler really struggles with, uh, where to go, where to put the front cross in, adding in verbals is detrimental to their handling because they're already struggling with just remembering where to go. Um, so the handler part of agility, it's so dynamic and, and the handler part varies greatly from team to team. And what logically makes sense to one team completely doesn't make sense to another team. And so it's learning how to figure out what is your handling training that you need to focus on and then not mixing that up with dog training. So there are at times that we ask a dog to jump and they fail to jump. So we have to figure out as handlers, okay, was that a commitment problem? Does my dog understand the dog training element of this scenario? 
was my lack of motion involved? Is it a handling thing? Is it a little bit of both? And so you can have a dog that doesn't fully understand commitment and a handler that doesn't recognize the lack of commitment on the dogs. And both things are at play at once. And so it's not just an easy recipe for do this and you'll get that. It's difficult as an instructor for me to answer the question when a, a student or a friend comes and asks me, do you think I'm ready to trial? There are indicators that would say, yeah, I definitely think you have the skills, your dog has the skills, but in practice, it is impossible to mimic the stress, the noise, and the people at a trial, and a trial environment is really, really different from training. And so while we can build up your dog's ability to understand the concepts of agility, you can build up the handler's training to understand the concepts of agility. Putting it into play at a trial takes on a whole different element. And so those things are impossible to mimic in practice, which is why it's impossible to say, yeah, you'll do great. You may see beautiful skills in practice that melt away at a trial. So what as handlers can we do to help prepare for a trial? I think that going to a trial without entering your dog um, is a very beneficial thing. And, and I would go to a couple of trials. I would go to one without your dog. Go and learn, go and watch, soak in the trial atmosphere, get a sense for where the measuring table is, get a sense for the ring configuration, how the dogs line up to go into the ring, how dogs exit the ring, um, learn about parking, whether or not you can crate your dog inside or along the, the ring side of the trial. Do you have to crate your dog out of a car? What are the just the logistics of, of the, how the trial is run? And note that every trial is different. So trials are put on by lots of different people. It's not a one-size-fits-all type of scenario. But overall, you'll get a flavor for how a trial runs, how loud it can be, the noises that your dog is going to encounter um, going into a trial. Indoor trials take on a different flavor than outdoor trials. The noise factors of the tools that it takes to screw in weave poles, uh, nailing down a tire jump, there are diff different things that a trial presents. There are one, one ring trials. There are two ring trials where you have two dogs running at the exact same time. And how can that potentially affect your dog? Um, I would go on a day, if possible, that your instructor is going. Um, most instructors that I know are willing to, to give you some sideline tips and, and answer any questions that you may have. Um, of course, that depends on your, your instructor, but most instructors are, want you to, uh, if they're trialing, they likely want you to trial alongside them. Um, then I would also take my dog to a trial, not to enter them. I would not enter them in any classes the very first time I take them, but take them, see what their, um, just their initial response is, keep their fear level below threshold. I cannot emphasize this enough. 
if you notice that your dog is freaking out at a trial, add some distance, um, add some food to their training. But if they're handling it, if they're handling ringside noise and the other dogs, then play some tricks with them in the aisleway of, of the trial. Um, don't get in anybody's way with your dog and don't let your dog play with the other dogs, but pay attention to what is going on with your dog. Notice if they notice the sound of the teeter banging. Um, do they notice the sounds of the dogs running over the A-frame or running through the tunnel? Um, what is their reaction? Are they showing any fear? Are they showing excitement? Those are all things that you'll want to know and so that you can appropriately handle them and, and learn how to react to your dog's reactions um, to any sounds or sights or, or things that are going on around them. Definitely feed your dog if they notice the sounds and they feel that they are um, making, if, if you notice that they're, the sounds seem scary to your dog, definitely start feeding your dog. Offer them some distance. We The trial environment can be very overwhelming for some dogs and we want to make sure that they are uh, in a comfortable scenario before they even enter their their own trial if your dog can't handle just standing outside of the ring then likely they aren't going to be able to handle what's going on inside the ring um, so that's the first thing to work on is the dog training part of your dog handling the outside of the ring um, and having that focus and attention going back to bucket one having that attention and focus on you outside of the ring and can your dog do simple tricks shake nose touch sit can they pay attention to you without losing the ability to do those simple tasks we're asking for simple tricks, sit, shake, wave. Those are tricks that our dog already knows. We're not at the trial to train them. They already know it, but can they show those tricks to you? Tricks that they can easily do in a kitchen, can they replicate them at a trial? Can they rec uh, replicate them with minimal stress? And if they can't do them in your kitchen, then they definitely can't do them at a trial. Um, but let's say they can do them in a kitchen, they can do them at Home Depot, and now they cannot do them at a trial. That means that you have some trial stress that you'll want to work through before you ask them to do a full course um, at a trial. So it's kind of figuring out where you need to start. Are you dealing with environmental stresses that you need to work on with your dog? Do you need to just bring them to the trial environment to get them used to it before you ever enter a trial? All right, so going back to the three buckets, um, going back to the question, how long does it take from knowing zero in agility to being able to enter a trial? Again, I can't answer that exactly because it really does depend on the team but I can tell you that the more that you work on your foundation the more that you work on your attention and focus the dog training part of it and the handling training part of it is um, the stronger it is you're going to feel um, more confident going into a trial if you have those skills under your belt uh, so pay attention to the focus and drive that you have with your dog 
pay attention to all the dog training elements. What skills does your dog need to handle uh, the agility obstacles and the handling part of the equation? What handling skills do you need as a handler to help your dog around the ring? Thank you for joining me. I hope that you've enjoyed this podcast. I would love it if you would hit the like button and subscribe. And please tell your friends. Thank you very much. Have fun training and go get them.